Jamie Franklin. Hello, Matthew. Uh, this is podcast 44. 44. Blimey, we're getting through them. Happy uh, landing on the moon day today. What an anniversary that is. Only We only have to wait two more years and it will be the 50th anniversary. I know. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. And it's uh, also the day that Vi- the Viking lander started sending photos and soil samples back as well. Really? And tomorrow is Virgil Grissom's first flight into space. What? Yeah. It's a host of anniversaries. So, I'll tell you what, this weekend will be the 30th anniversary on the 22nd of July of yeah. Mohammed Fari's uh, first flight into space. Not only was it his first flight into space, it was Syria's. First flight into space. Isn't that an interesting really? fact? So in 1987, 22nd of July, Mohammed Faris, Syria's first person into space. It's not really gone very well for Syria since then, has it? No, <laughs> it hasn't. But, you know, that, that said, big up yourself, Mohammed. So, yeah, Jamie, we've got a brilliant guest on this week, haven't we? We have a fantastic guest. Uh, but while we were talking to that fantastic guest down at the British Interplanetary Society, yeah. um, Elon Musk was talking at the ISS conference and he had some unbelievably interesting things to say. What did he say? Well, I think it might be Elon Musk's probably his most negative kind of speech ever. Really? Uh, yeah, when, when I went onto Twitter, all I saw was loads of little crying faces and things like that. Oh, what's he been saying? Well, Dragon 2, he's ditched the propulsive landing, so none of that really cool rocket stuff coming out. And yeah. Apparently it's just that, you know, legs protruding from the heat shield were just basically unworkable. It just couldn't work it. And oh. because there's no uh, propulsive landing anymore in Dragon 2, it means that the Red Dragon... The Red Dragon has been scrapped. So not only was it cancelled from 2018 to 2020, it's, it's now just not happening at all because there's no point in them doing it yeah. because uh, it won't give any useful data about how to do retro rocket landings on Mars. So, um, yeah, yeah that, that's been canned. Oh, that is quite sad. But, you know, he's got enough on his plate that of very exciting stuff. We don't need to be too sad, do we, Matt? No, because Falcon Heavy... Is almost good to go, and he was going on about just how crazy hard it was, and it was just so difficult. And yeah. he doesn't—he actually doesn't think, you know, he'll be really, really chuffed. He says if it clears the launch pad and doesn't damage the launch pad, that will for him be a success. So yeah, he says, every, every, will be. Every, yeah. So everyone should uh, scale back their expectations for Falcon Heavy. Apparently. Scale back, please, people. <laughs> but he's uh, opening up his Boca Chica. Um, uh, launch facility. So hopefully they have 12 flights still planned for the year from their three launch pads. So they'll, they'll be on all cylinders. So we could, yeah, we could potentially have 24 flights from SpaceX this year. That, Incredible. That well, watch this space, literally. Yeah, and, you, well, you know they use Dragon... You know, the uh, quite recently they flew up to the space station in a reused Dragon spacecraft and then it came back down again the one with the mice in it yeah uh, yeah. that uh, apparently that costs more to refurbish than it would have done to uh, just um, rebuild another one 
So that 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 kind of must have been a little bit of a shocker for poor old Muskie. I'll tell you what was quite funny. He also was mentioned about the fairings being saved, and he and he, he sort of told his engineers. He said, "Well, you know, if you had a crate of money that had six million dollars, you, you'd in it, you'd, you'd definitely make the effort to try and catch it as it came down into the sea." So, you definitely would. That, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. That's his. That's would. his. Uh, that's his reasoning behind doing the uh, saving the fairings. You'd get over That's... your fear of um, octopuses, wouldn't you, Matt, for, for, for that much money? Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Do you yeah. know that I only have a fear of one thing, and that's orange orange slugs. Really? I hate, I hate orange slugs. They make <laughs> me feel... I literally start choking. <laughs> Why? Them. Okay, this is interesting. Why orange slugs over ra- normal slugs? Well, no, black slugs. You see them all the time, and there's not much, you know... They're, they're horrible, but, you know, I, I'm not that... But the orange ones, uh, I think it's when I was a kid. Did you step on one? Did it go through your toes? No, I think my one of my. I think we were down the park once, and all the yobby kids were picking them up and throwing them at us, and, it was, oh, and they were so yeah. big. You're and scarred. Grim. I am scarred. It always scarred goes back hot. to the childhood. It certainly does, Jamie. Yeah, it certainly does. Do you know what I'm scared of, Matt? I've only got mm-hmm. one fear, and on, that's Matt. that you ring me up and say that you never want me to do this podcast again. <laughs> Jamie, there's that's my only fear. To, you don't have to live in that fear. You don't have to live with that fear at oh, all. Thank goodness. Oh wait, did I say I not ever do it again? I mean, could you do it again next week? <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there, Matt. I cleverly yes. turned it round. Do you know what we haven't done is an astronaut of the week? But our next guest, which we're going yeah. to listen to right now, does actually do the astronaut of the week, and it's a really good one. Oh wow! Roll the tape. Écoutez. So Jamie. Hello, Matt. Hello. We find ourselves back in the British Interplanetary Society Library. It's good to be back. It is good to be back, but we do have, as promised last week, a very special guest. We have a special guest. And I'm going to tell you who that guest is. Go on, then. It's Sarah Crudus, who is a space journalist, broadcaster and author of books. Blimey, hello, Sarah. Hello, how, how are you are doing? You? We're fine. How's things? I, I'm honoured to be a special guest. I hope I don't disappoint anyone. <laughs> we hope not either. Oh, good, good. Um, yeah. We hope so, you're not too nervous being on the Interplanetary um, Podcast. I think I'm good. I think yeah. I'm good. We know you've done some big things. This might be the top of the list, right? I think so. Yeah. I, I think it's absolutely top. I'm excited to be here. I've never been here before. The library... You like this library, right? It's absolutely... Fantastic, all the history in these walls. Anything you want to steal and take home? All of it. Under the coat? All of it. Yeah? All of it. There's an awesome book by Colin Pillinger, a cartoon book about space, which looks pretty special. (laughs) Which seamlessly brings me to my first question. You've done two or three children's books? I've done two. I've got a third out in 2018 or 19 and an adult's book out then as well. So how did that first come about? By academic background, an astrophysicist. Um, I worked in TV with the BBC for a while, and now I do a mix of different space things to work with space companies and then also um, give talks about space and do TV, um, all about showcasing why space matters. And I was just approached to write kids' books about space, direct from direct by Dorling Kindersley. And I guess it's, it's not just for kids, though. It's for adults as well, because I think um, we kind of lose sight of our interest in science as we go older. But space is that one which really captivates people of any age and a lot of the stuff that a seven-year-old's reading about actually a 27-year-old a 37-year-old or a 47-year-old could appreciate as well so I was approached to write a couple of books and continuing from there and I think it's really important to keep the message going about why space matters and not just the um the traditional stuff like our solar system and suns and stars which is all very exciting but you know the way we explore space is changing the space race 
was incredible back in the 1960s, but we're seeing a new space race now. And kids who are growing up today could very possibly be working in industries such as asteroid mining and um, inflatable habitats on the moon and all these science fiction sounding things that we were promised 50 years ago, but are actually, thanks to commercial industry, um, soon to become a reality. So I think we're in a really exciting time for space. So it's good to be able to tell those stories now. There's a lot of exciting things going on. And inspire the next generation. I actually took the liberty of going to Amazon and checking out the reviews <laughs> for your books. You'll be pleased that five stars for the last. Oh, that's good. Um, and one of them <laughs> caught my eye and it said, I wish this book had existed when I was a child space geek. Sarah, Sarah's writing is flawless, perfectly measured bite-sized chunks of fascinating spacey info. There we go. It's nice, right? There we go. It's nice that to know good. that that's happening. That is good. Is always your um, area of interest and the push that you put for space exploration rather than spacey space, as in cosmology? Do you know, it's funny because when I was looking at PhDs, I was obsessed with cosmology. I actually, terrible confession, uh, did a, I have a degree and a master's in astrophysics and that's about as far as I got. I dropped out of any ideas of doing PhDs. But I think from a young age, I, I remember learning about Venus at school. I was interested in space and the solar system and then space exploration. I was fascinated by the shuttle era in the 1990s when I was growing up and um, went to space camp as a kid, as you do. Um, well, if you win a scholarship, at least. Yeah. Um, but I think the older I've got, the more excited I am about the commercial space race because I think change is happening fast. And as as much as I love the far out space, the sciencey space, I just think human exploration is the most significant thing we'll ever do as a species. And we really are on the cusp of something big. And I think there's a lot of people from the Apollo era who feel we were let down mm. and we didn't get what we wanted. Mm. You know, we expected, Buzz Aldrin says we could have been on Mars or, you know, by the 1980s or the 1990s if we'd continued with the same rate as Apollo, we didn't get there. But what you've got to remember is the, the space race, it was about governments saying we can do a big thing well. It was to make the comparison with American history, a Columbus moment in terms of exploration, the Mayflower moment, that's coming now. So that's when we're seeing the private industry and where money can be made that's where change is going to happen. And I think it's a hugely exciting thing to be part of. And I'm just, I think we should all be so grateful to live in a time where, you know, 559 people have been to space to date, but that will change within our lifetime. And that is incredibly exciting. Those numbers will increase hugely, we hope, within the next 20, 30 years. And it might seem like science fiction, but I really believe the time is now. And that's what's really captured my imagination about human space exploration over everything else. I mean, don't get me wrong, yeah. I love it all. Yeah. Um, but I think there's some really exciting stuff going on and a lot of money to be made as well if you're in the business yeah. side of things. I mean, it's, there's been kind of these little false dawns before and, it is, uh, you know, obviously growing up. Mm. But, I, you know, genuinely, I, don't, and I still don't know whether it's because we've been doing this podcast and we've been getting more and more into space, but there does definitely seem to be this really exciting era coming over the horizon and I guess it's all to do with... The billionaires that are getting involved. Well, it in is. You've got to look at people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, who are two of the front runners, and they made their money out of the internet. So that was in the 1990s. We did have some full starts with commercial space in the 1990s. It couldn't work. The price of entry was too high, whereas the price of entry to become an internet entrepreneur was literally nothing. You could start with zero, but a great idea, and you could become a billionaire. And people like Jeff and um, 
By the way, that there's a drinking game that we have on the show that every every time you mention Elon Musk's name, you've got to have a drink. Oh, so, well, I no. had a mind fog there. How do I forget? <laughs> right, so um, I think everyone was just there well, with so their drinks going. And people like Jeff and like Elon, they they made their money, but they're literally giving back everything they have, they're staking their fortunes on lowering the cost of entry into space or so reducing the cost of accessing space. Why that's a good thing is because then all these entrepreneurs which are bubbling up in the Silicon Valley, that go get them spirit, when space becomes much, much cheaper, maybe only a million or so or half a million to have a payload in space, an experiment in space, um, a large payload, it, it's going to transform the industry. And it means all those future Elon Musk, so I remember his name then, and Jeff Bezos with those ideas can actually happen. So we're living in exciting times. But but everything you mentioned then was still low, low Earth orbit, and it's like all this stuff still happens in low Earth orbit. And 50 but if you years want to ago, get to Mars, if you want to get to Mars, you've got to concentrate on reducing the cost of access yeah. to space because you've got to have to take a lot of stuff with you if you want to go to right. Mars. You've got even things you don't think about like clothing, so that gets thrown away on the International Space Station. The way the they wear their clothes for a long time, and then it's thrown away. But on a long duration trip to Mars, we're going to need to. You can't take like five shirts with you, so we need to either reduce the cost of lifting, which we're working at, or think of new types of clothing, new long-duration wears, or ways of waterless washing in space so you don't need any more water. Silly little things you don't yeah. think of. But there's so much that we need to do if we're going to get to Mars, and I think... Um, we will go to Mars, we couldn't will we go to the moon, but we just got the timing wrong. I was going to say, couldn't we do a lot of the, what we do on the way to Mars, practice it? Because this is, this is kind of the big debate amongst all us podcasters for a start off is which one first, Mars or moon? Should we concentrate on Mars or should we concentrate? And for me, it's like, it, it seems really obvious to go to, back to the moon and, and... But I think the problem is when you had Apollo, you had a vision. The whole world was looking at landing on the moon. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly America, but they were following America and Russia in their efforts. But now you've got some people, as you say, going, let's go straight to Mars. Others saying, let's return to the moon. There's not that joint focused vision at the moment. But I think, I know certainly NASA and Boeing are looking at, you're going to um, lunar orbit first, testing out things there, then sending humans eventually in orbit around Mars. Um, Buzz Aldrin, for example, thinks we should land on one of Mars's moons before going down to the surface of Mars. So I think the slow and steady approach is the better approach. And actually, if you look back at Apollo, you had Mercury, then you had Gemini, and then you went to the moon. You didn't just go straight to the moon. So there's a lot of things we need to test out before we send human beings to the surface of Mars. But it will happen. I, I can't imagine. There's lots of reasons not to explore space, lots of obvious reasons. But none of those are real because space brings so much benefit back to life on Earth in terms of spin-offs, innovation and technology, improving life on Earth, inspiring so many people and uh, protecting our own planet. You look at um, people like Jeff Bezos, they want to move manufacturing off Earth. So climate change is real, it is happening. Undoubtedly, humans have had an effect on our climate, but we're not going to change. So what ways can we adapt? And then there is the let's escape to Mars option. But so much going into space is about improving life on Earth. And, and then it's, it's why we're human. It's what separates us from being animals. You know, curiosity is the essence of human existence. We're built to explore. We're built to go over the hill. So why not go to Mars? Why not go beyond Mars and, and use that as the, you know, the moon, the Mars? And that's the first stepping stone for really exploring our solar system. I mean, there's likely life within our solar system, certainly either in Europa, one of Jupiter's moons, or Enceladus, one of Saturn's moons. And yeah, but they're the two really exciting ones. Yeah. Which kind of, in the next, say, 10 years, what do you think are the really exciting space 
projects that are going to really kind of start taking shape? Probably all the things we haven't imagined yet, because that's always the way. I think um, what I love about space is all the things you can imagine, and it's something you could not even imagine, something so ridiculous. Think when Charles Lindbergh was crossing the Atlantic in the 1920s, you wouldn't think by the 1960s humans were on the surface of the moon. So I think... The obvious ones are space mining. Um, there's a lot of money to be made from resources, um, water to be used as rocket fuel. That's incredibly exciting. So I think we'll see private missions to an asteroid. I think we'll likely see a private landing on the moon. I, I think there's a few contenders at the moment. Um, not all of them in the Google Lunar X Prize. Some of them have dropped out. So you've got companies such as Astrobotics, Space IL, Bob Richards with Moon Express. I think... Um, Bigelow Aerospace are doing exciting things in terms of inflatable habitats. So we'll see more with new habitats. And within the next decade, the ISS is going to come to the end of its life. So I think we might have a bit of a stall in terms of do we then aim for the moon? And then let's look at countries such as China and India as well. I mean, um, could the next person on the moon actually be a Chinese woman? Yeah. Mm. That's that's an interesting thought. And I think India is doing some really exciting things. So um and then you've got to watch the Mavericks. People like um, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, I just think no one expected them to be doing what they were doing 10 years ago, just like you didn't expect to have an iPhone, a smartphone, like we do 15 years ago. So and it I think, very nearly didn't happen for Elon. It was yeah, very, no, it's I mean, wasn't it on but a day? It was on this a, is on the a reason why, why space does matter, because you literally see people like him who are staking their entire fortune, yeah. not for an ego trip, but for the good of humanity, as far as he sees it, on progressing humanity as a species, and it's got to come from private industry. So I think we're going to see a lot of surprises in the next 10 years, and I'm, I'm hugely exciting. There's going to be a rise in commercial space, and then things we haven't even thought about, so private infrastructure. So um, NASA's the only way to communicate, to get data in, in and out of space. I think we're going to see a rise in private companies doing that. I, I just think there's so much exciting stuff happening there. And then space tourism. I know... Richard Branson with Virgin Galactic has promised it would be next year for the last 10 years or so. But it will happen. There's lots of companies doing it. And even the ones who fail will be helping in the eventual success because yeah. you've got to have competition. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Bezos really does look like he's online for next and year. And it's slow and he? steady. That's his motto. And I think that's what you're seeing as well. They've been very quiet. He can afford, you know, he's the second richest man in the world. He can afford not to have well, government he's contracts. Like, yeah, he's, 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 he's sort of selling off Amazon shares, isn't he, at a billion Yeah, yeah, a year. 100 million yeah. of Amazon Someone's shares a year. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, that, But his thing is, again, he's not doing it for an ego trip. He's doing it because the exploration of space is the most significant thing we'll do as a species. He made his money out of the internet. Now he's using his money to help entrepreneurs have these crazy ideas that he was able to and just change the way we explore space in ways we can't yet imagine. And you can't fault him for it. It's not hurting anyone else. You can't use this, what about X country and Y country? Why don't we help them? Because it's private money going into it and it benefits all of humanity. Why do you think space exploration hasn't really caught the public imagination as much as... You'd exp considering there's all these really sort of high-profile billionaires like Musk and Bezos and all that lot in involved, but when it came to something like Elon Musk reflying a used a flight-proven booster, the BBC cover of coverage of it was was. I'll be literally... honest with you. I think that's fascinating. You think it's fascinating. The general public does not. Mm. So you you can't just because you love a subject, it doesn't but, mean but, it's but, really. But, but why do you think that is? Because because it's not got people on it. It's not got. I, I think the problem is that there's so much else going on in the world, and actually space is hugely unrelatable to so many people. Mm. 
what I think succeeds, for example, with the Rosetta mission, um, Rosetta and Philae were turned into a cartoon yeah, yeah. and you gave characters and names to something, you know, space, to think how far away Trumov Gerasmenko was when they landed on it. Mm. But then it, a silly little kid's cartoon, well, not even silly, it was a genius idea, um, made space relatable. And I think it's hard for people to relate and it's hard for people to say, well, big deal, rocket relanded. I thought we did that anyhow. People think we're still on the moon. People think, yeah. you know, some people think we're going to Mars. More people can name the Kardashians than they can name all the moonwalkers. Unfortunately. Well, and I, yeah, I mean, most people can only name two moonwalkers. Oh, come at, on, come on. <laughs> well, most people, I'm talking, most people do. If you look at a story Armstrong, like you know. Proxima, you know, People get really excited about it and then they find out that we probably won't be able to go there very quickly. Well, we might. <laughs> so you don't know what's going to happen kind of in terms of like technology. A, oh, really? Because everyone think... wants everything now because of social media. You know? And Yeah, that's true. And I think there's so much else going on in the world, like the political situation in America, the political situation in the UK. And I think it's easy to get caught up in everyday life. And sometimes you just have to look up and and wonder what else is out there. And I think... Something like a rocket relanding again, as scientists, it's very exciting, but for the general public, they don't quite get it yet. And that's fine. But when it's the first crewed mission and it relands, that's a different story. When they're seeing human beings, for Absolutely. example, launching from American soil, and we're getting that, it's happening again. There is excitement, there is a buzz, um, and it's something we haven't seen since the Apollo era. Not that I was anywhere near alive during <laughs> yeah. the Apollo era. Yeah, I mean, I just scraped in. Just about. But if you, <laughs> you know, one. if you go, I don't know whether you've been to Cocoa Beach, the area around Cape Canaveral there, but no. you get an Uber and the Uber driver's dad was mates with Gus Grissom and used to go really? fishing with him. And there's this whole yes. attachment to the industry, but also it's changing now. But for a time after the final shuttle launch, um, it was quite a depressing place to go. There wasn't a lot of money. A lot of people got laid off. But now that that area is kind of taking off again and it's great news for Florida as well. Sarah, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Okay. Um, you've been lucky enough to interview some amazing people. Any favourites? Any favourites? Um, let me think. Quite a few, actually. I'd say my favourite one from the past um, has to be Gene Cernan, the last man to walk on the moon, um, and still the last man to walk on the moon at the time of his death in January this year, which I just think... Is there anything that he said that stuck in your mind? Just the fact that... Well, it's a quote he probably actually says to everyone, but it's, it is the, I walked on the moon, what can't you do? You know, he, you don't count yourself out. You never know what life's got in store for you. I mean, you look at the twists of fate which led for him, and he probably shouldn't have got command of Apollo 17. It probably... Um, he probably should have been Apollo 18. Yeah, <laughs> that was an interesting... <laughs> looking at girls in bikinis, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but he didn't, just the twists of fates, and he's just... A nice guy, a really nice guy. He was really humble. Um, I, I was involved in the, moon, uh, the movie Last Man on the Moon. If you haven't watched it, watch it. It's absolutely, you don't have to be into space. It's just an absolutely, absolutely yeah, yeah. incredible film. I know Mark Craig, the director, did a talk here at the British Interplanetary Society. And it, so he was fantastic. And then looking at the future of space, I think it has to be Jeff Bezos when I interviewed him because he's changing the world and we don't not yet know it yet. And I think... So many. I love Elon Musk as well, um, but I think no one's really heard of Jeff Bezos in the everyday community. But Jeff Bezos is going to do incredible things for humanity. He's slow, he's steady in terms of what he's doing. You know, Guardian Ferocitor is his motto: "Slow and steady wins the race." And the things he's doing with Blue Origin are simply incredible. And he will send tourists up, he, and he will change the way we access space because. He's got all the money in the world yeah. um, and he's just an incredibly visionary person and 
yeah, just to work with someone like that is an incredible thing. Absolutely, fantastic. Do you think that uh, do you think that Elon Musk will have his moon tourism next year? Because that seems to be why. I mean, this is 2018's coming up next year, and there, there's an awful lot of things that were supposed to be happening in 2018. You know, when I was growing up um, in the 90s, I thought I would be walking on Mars by the year 2020. <laughs> yeah. I thought, you yeah. know, I'll be in my 30s Didn't by then, I'll be on yeah, Mars. Yeah, yeah. But it's hard to, and I can understand why people even in the space community are like, oh, it's never going to happen. But I don't want to say never. I think they've had, you know, record number of launches this year. They're really proving reusability. I mean, they are smashing. They are. um, They have had some setbacks, but they're working past those. And we've got to accept failure is part of this. I think sometimes we don't accept risk in space travel anymore, whereas they did during the Apollo era. They knew that people weren't going to get out alive, whereas nowadays we're more safety conscious. Will he send tourists around the moon in 2018? I'm not going to say no, because... Who knows what's going to happen? Did anyone really believe in 1967, after we lost Apollo 1, that we'd be orbiting the moon, you know, just over, you know, nearly two years later with Apollo 8? So, Yeah, yeah incredible, actually. The, the Apollo mission, actually, you kind of touched on it just then, was the, it, it gave such a big hope for everyone because it was so enormous and so groundbreaking, getting people to the moon. And we just haven't been back for 50 years. So it... it it's, I think that that might be more to do with the, the public disinterest and the fact that science fiction has well, kind it, of, you know, was, we've seen Star Trek and But it was to do with governments as well. So America had a goal and it was to go to the moon. Um, I do wonder if President Kennedy hadn't have been assassinated, whether America would have actually landed on the moon. Did he almost become a fatwa because of his death? And that's why they, they continued doing it. I, I don't know whether that's my opinion or not, but I think it's an interesting uh, thought to have. But... Um, it's just a shame because an entire generation of people who are just in their 20s, the engineers, the scientists, you know, thousands of people who helped put America on the moon, we've lost all that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it is a shame, but the timing wasn't right. Now the timing is right. So I feel for people like Gene Cernan, I feel for people um, like Chris Kraft uh, for Mission Control, but the change is happening and we're in a very exciting new era. It's just not as we expected it and maybe things had to happen the way they did. Yeah, a perfect day in your world. What does that look like? Perfect day in my world. Oh, gosh, there's no no days the same. I'm probably on an aeroplane. I love flying. I got okay. to fly in a seaplane, um, de Havilland Otter, over Alaska recently. Wow. That was absolutely incredible. And I think flight and space go hand in hand with each other, actually. Um, if I wasn't on an aeroplane, I think it would have to be just interviewing someone about space or just telling a story about why space matters and helping to... To really push humanity forward, it sounds a bit dramatic, but, yeah. but that's so what we're doing. So if you could do that on a plane, it would be it, that'd be best great. That would be great. That would be ideal. Okay. All right, noted. <laughs> but just um, what I love is going to meet all these companies which are making it possible. All the new companies. Um, I'm hopefully going to meet um, Worldview, which is a space ballooning company. Um, later on this summer, yeah. and they want to send tourists to the edge of space Was with high-altitude balloons. with the KFC going Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Right. That's, can yeah. you do that advertising <laughs> on this? Um, yeah, but, totally Other fried chicken is you, available. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but you get balloons with the origin of space travel, balloons yeah. with the origin of spacesuits as well. Mm. And, and it's just... And I think balloons could be some of the first near-space tourists. I don't think they'll, just, they'll cross that line um, to get into space, but... Um, I don't think I have an ideal perfect day, but it's anything to do with chatting about space or talking about space. I mean, surely a trip into space would be the ideal perfect day, let's be honest. That would be pretty sweet. Do you see that happening in your future? I don't think I've always said to Matt that when I'm 76, it will be affordable for me to orbit the moon. (laughs) I think I've worked that out. Yeah? Yeah, if you take in what it cost when flight first came in. 
You know, no, that's true. And, and he's 62. That's a good no, point, Because all these people who say, well, why is space only for the rich? We've well, got to compare it with where we were with aviation 100 exactly years that. ago. And unfortunately, it is the way. The rich are actually the risk takers who... Um, lead the way in terms of making it more accessible for the rest of us. So, yes, it is expensive. Yes, it's frustrating. But I'm actually on the board um, on a non-profit called Space for Humanity, which yeah. is looking at um, recruiting and having them fully paid to go into space, some average citizens. So they will be sent up um, on a commercial company when it's available, a few of them, to actually experience space from beyond. So you have got those um, philanthropic efforts going on to oh, actually send the average human really into space. Cool. I've never yeah, heard yeah, that yeah. space for humanity. That, yeah. It's run by a good friend of mine who's so a space investor. So can you put in a good word with your mate, Jeff? <laughs> Maybe get us a discount? <laughs> I don't know. You can apply for space for humanity if yeah, you look it up online. Sure yeah. someone to document Dylan Tyler is a founder of that. He's a... Um, a huge investor in the space industry, a space angel investor, and he's, he's very much for supporting the industry. And I think that's what's great about right now. People are giving their money, they're staking their fortunes in some cases on space. And if it matters that much to some people, it, it must matter. Absolutely. So what would you say is the... Or where would you say is the best place for young people or old people to go to to... Uh, get information about space that's not intimidating. That I'm is glad you said old as well, because actually space should be for all. And of there course. is that argument, yeah. why should we tell people, shouldn't we just give them the benefits? Yeah. But actually, isn't it about inspiring people? Isn't it about giving them curiosity? I think the best thing anyone can do if they want to be interested in space is just look up at the night sky. You know, um, right. stars twinkle, planets don't. There you go. And you can see planets. Yeah, Because you've got a telescope, right? Yes, I have. There we go. <laughs> I yeah. don't use it very often. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, I don't use it very because often. Because for me, that was the thing that, I mean, I, me and Matt had been talking about space for ages because we were mates and it, it interested us. But it only really grabbed me when I went round to Matt's house and he had his telescope set up in his back garden and it was pointing at Jupiter. Yeah, and when I yeah. first looked through the telescope at Jupiter, it, it blew my mind and really changed from then. Was there a moment that you can remember when you were younger? I can't remember not being into space because it's all of that... Um, questioning what else is out there it's as much about philosophy as it is about you know much about science as it is about philosophy and art and that's why I think space is for so many people and I think it can be off-putting I think certain um, members of the space community might be intimidating for some people who aren't from that kind of community but it's just all about having that spark of curiosity and wondering what else is out there and then the next thing is just to utilize things like social media um, follow Elon Musk on Twitter on Instagram and um, Go on the NASA website and come back three days later when you're about, a, you know, a hundredth of the way through it and yeah. realise how oh, much man. exciting stuff yeah. is going out there. I mean, the way we explore space is changing. Commercial companies are revolutionising it, but I would hate to see a world where there isn't a NASA. Yeah. Because to me, NASA is, is space travel and I think we've got to hold on to that. But I think read books, look at pictures. You don't have to read scary science books. You don't have to know about science, but... You know, one of my favourite pictures to inspire people is the, the picture taken by the Cassini spacecraft when it went to Saturn, yeah. and it's Saturn's rings. You know the one I'm going to say, oh, don't right, you? Right, yeah. And then you've got this tiny blue dot next to Saturn's rings pretty much just below them, and that's Earth. And everything we know, everything we know is on that one little pale blue dot. And I just think 
Isn't that insane? And just yeah, I, I always point people to the Carl Sagan quotes and uh, about the pale blue dot, and because that's how I got into it was 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 literally as a small child watching Carl Sagan's Cosmos. You look good uh, for your age. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and I still do. I still point people back to his original version because I, I got it on on uh, DVD, and I play it to my kids, and they they just can't believe how good it is. It, it's no, still, no, it's it still fantastic. massively stands up. And and the other thing so I love good. as well is so. You take Alan Stern and the New Horizons mission to Pluto. Pluto was dismissed as a boring rock. Yeah. And what I love about space is anything you can imagine exists and all the things you can't imagine probably exist also. And now we've got, like, cryo-volcanoes on yeah. Pluto and all these crazy, insane things, In fact, and that's yeah. just within our own solar system from yeah. one really brief flyby. Did you see the video? Because on the two-year anniversary of that, they put, they put out a, a video of the sort of high-resolution... As a, as a kind of flyover, and it's just absolutely incredible. NASA's kind of stitched together thing, it's just, and with Sharon as well. It's just like, yeah, you're right, though. I mean, who would have thought that Pluto was going to look like that? And, and I think space brings out the best in humanity, and I'm going to actually go back to one of your questions from earlier, if that's OK, because um, there's someone else I wanted to mention who I've interviewed who actually I think is an inspiration to all of us, and that's uh, Piers Sellers. Mm. And um, so I interviewed him, I nominated him for um, the Lifetime Space Achievement Award out in America, which is like, the highest non-governmental award you can get with the Space Foundation, which he won. And, you know, he used his last year, and I think if anyone listening doesn't know the story of Piers Sellers, you should, because he was a British... Um, climate scientist who followed his dream to become an astronaut, became an American in order to achieve it, became an NASA astronaut, pretty much built the International Space Station. I mean, his spacewalking um, stature was second to none within the astronaut office. Then he worked with NASA Goddard, um, leading research into climate change and understanding more about spaceship Earth, so to speak, our own planet. And then he found out tragically just over a year ago he was terminally ill with pancreatic cancer and he wrote this piece in the New York Times not bemoaning his um, you know, foreshortened horizon, I think were the exact words he used, mm. but saying how more important than any bucket list was actually continuing his work at NASA Goddard into climate change and he dedicated the last year of his life to this, he made a film with Leonardo DiCaprio. He was in my kids' book while all this was going on. He, did, he took the time to do an interview with me to inspire children. He, you know, and he inspired so many people. And I think space brings out the best in humanity. Some of the people who are really giving them, giving everything, giving their whole selves for the benefit of humanity. And I think Piers is the number one example of that, actually. And he doesn't have the recognition he should have, in my view, because. It's just incredible, and he, yeah. he should be a, a sir, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, he should, I mean, um, he should be a national treasure. I yeah, mean, we, 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 We've talked about quite a, like Michael Fowle and uh, Nicholas Patrick but as I well. But like... what Piers did in his last year on Earth was beyond heroic, and, yeah. and I just think... And, and when I interviewed him, actually, the reason I um, went back into space, so after I switched from being an astro, doing astrophysics, I became a weather presenter with the BBC, then a science correspondent, but when I was interviewing Piers Sellers one afternoon when I was sneaking off to tell science stories while still being a weather girl, um, he inspired me to change my life and to go back into space. And he has inspired, you know, he's changed my life just through one interview. Um, and I just think he's one of the greatest people and that's what you get from space exploration. You get the best of humanity. Have we changed your life through this interview? <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. To, you know, I know we're not quite there yet. So what's coming up for you in the next six months? Oh, uh, God. Of, uh, well, I mean, yeah, the rest I, of this year, like... 
Is there anything that stands out? Any events? Any um, TV work? I've got to write two more books. Um, okay. I'm going out to see the eclipse in August, so I'm very excited Where's about that. that. Um, I'm going to go to East Oregon. Please, no one else nice. come there because there's going to be like a million extra people <laughs> in the state already, I think. Um, so ch- Eclipse Chasing will be very good. And I'm working on some TV projects both Wicked. here and in America. So it's all all exciting. And then um, who knows? I think often with what I do, I, I kind of live quite to the wire in terms <laughs> of so I'll just get rung up and asked to do like the most insane thing so it'll be like would you like to come and host this show in scotland with tim peak and i'll be like okay yeah that'll be all right done. Sure. Um, so um yeah there's a lot of exciting stuff happening within the next year awesome well we know you're busy so thank you so much for coming down and giving us your time uh yeah thank you very much thank you very much thank you oh one thing that sarah said that she'd forgot to mention was yeah how important it was for everyone to go and see mission control mission control needs to be watched yeah, the Mission Control movie. And I confess I haven't seen it yet, so I must I haven't must, either. Must, must, I'm must going go to watch that this Saturday. I've I've blocked some time in the uh, in the diary and that's going to be that's going to be happening for sure. Get involved, peeps. So everyone, if you uh, like the show, please subscribe to iTunes. That's that's all that's all we ask and give us a nice five-star review. That'd be yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that would be nice. That. It would be nice. And, uh, And yeah, check out uh, Sarah's books. Absolutely. The Interplanetary Podcast. Putting Putting the ace ace back back into into space. space. Good. Good. Okay, bye-bye, space cats. Bye, you lot. See you soon, bye. Cheers. Bye.